Hello and welcome to episode 222 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Vienna, Virginia. This is Ben Olson. With me is Nathan Fox in LA? I, or? No, I'm in South Lake Tahoe. I will, okay. uh, and then I'm today, as soon as we get done recording this, I'm going to drive to Reno and then I'm going to hopefully get on an airplane if TSA lets me um, with my expired driver's license. Yeah. So it just expired yesterday. Yeah, I fucked up. Yesterday was my birthday. Forgot that my license was expiring. I have an appointment at the DMV this coming week <laughs> to get my my new driver's license with you know the real ID that they're going to require. Oh yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, but anyway, yeah, I didn't. I just spaced. I also I had my passport. I had a buddy in LA go get my passport and mail it to me. Oh. Okay, but he mailed it to my buddy's PO box here in South Lake Tahoe with my name on it. Oh, and, and the USPS just was like, "Oh, this name's not on this PO box," and sent it back. <laughs> and I didn't realize that <laughs> until yesterday. So anyway, I'm gonna get in. I'm gonna try to get on a flight today with my expired driver's license, my um, Costco Visa that has my picture on the back of it, and my ski pass which has my picture on it. <laughs> What do you think they'll actually take those other things like legitimately? We were there, go- googling it yesterday, and yeah. it was like if you forget your ID, you know, TSA still might let you on. But if you have this, what? Well, so I'm going to bring as much documentation as I can. Like I'm going to print out my, you know, bank statement and tax tax return, and I'm just going to have a bunch of documents and an expired driver's license. <laughs> sure. So. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I mean, I, I'm curious if they'll even catch it, and if they if they do. I mean, the guy's got to be looking at it and be like, okay, wait, this expired yesterday? <laughs> yeah, and I'm hoping I'll just be able to go, yeah, I'll tell them, you know, just tell them what happened. Yeah. Happy if they birthday, don't let me on, way. Thanks, man. If they don't let me on, then um, you're going to be on your own <laughs> in our class <laughs> in New York. <laughs> oh, okay, great. But um, whatever. So what's it like, uh, you know, breaking into the 50s? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of feel like I'm in my fifties. I went skiing for the first day of first first time uh, in a while. Okay, a few days ago, and I'm like still sore from it. That shit's hard. <laughs> like, yeah, very out of shape. But uh, nah, it's uh, had a good had a good birthday. Had some pizza. Went and saw a movie with my buddies. It was great. Cool, man. Today on the show, we're going to talk about the difference between necessary assumptions and necessary conditions, uh, as well as sufficient assumptions and sufficient conditions. Uh, People sometimes get those mixed up. We have a testimonial, apparently. We have a pearl versus turd, which is nice. We have two public announcements. We have a question about dual law degrees and another personal statement from an international applicant. Um. Yeah, dude. This will come out on Monday, the 9th. Uh, Ten days from now, you'll get your November LSAT score if you took that test. And it will be too late to register for the January LSAT because that registration was last Tuesday. Um, the January LSAT is around the corner on the 13th. Uh, but you can still register for the February LSAT, which is uh, January... Well, the February LSAT is on... February 22nd. That should be easy to remember since this episode is 222 and the February LSAT will be on 222. But the registration deadline for that is Tuesday, January 7th. 
Um, I'm curious if these registration deadlines persist and continue to happen on Tuesdays, but in any case, you have a few <laughs> few weeks to make that decision. Email the show at helpatthinkinglsat.com. Send us your selfies if you're so inclined. Leave us a review on iTunes. We always appreciate that. And, yeah, do you have anything to add to that exciting schedule? This Oh, it will be too late, but we will be doing the uh, – personal statement workshop this weekend in new york city and if you came this past weekend i hope you had fun <laughs> it's kind of weird talking about the future from the in the past. past yeah yeah i hope yeah. i was Anyways. there i hope i made yeah. it <laughs> um did you see that they extended the registration deadline for the january test this this week wait what huh? yeah no. it's passed again now it's passed oh but okay what, they, what happened I I only know because I follow them on Twitter, but they um they extended it like by a day or two, and they sent out like a couple what? tweets about it that they had extended why, it by a day or why, two. Why? Why? What? I mean, that's great. I think it should be a lot later than it is, but I don't understand the like marginal change. Oh, two more days. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. You can have another day if you missed it. Why do you think that is? You know, maybe they should just didn't shouldn't even have a deadline. Maybe they should just have like first come first serve type of thing. Like once it's full, it's full to encourage people to, because I mean, I know obviously what they're doing is they're, they want to get certainty. So they set a deadline, but then yeah. if they didn't have enough applicants, then they extend the deadline. Yeah. But then they've had so many problems recently that it seems pretty clear that they actually need to have fewer people registered so that they can actually get their shit together. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like they need, to have fewer sites, it seems like, and make sure that they're going to actually be able to see people. Because we're just hearing nonstop disasters right now. That's right. I mean, I just got an email yesterday from somebody who, just like the horror story of like, they well, they had accommodations, first of all, which I do think having accommodations causes a lot of these problems because you're just getting special treatment and it's you know harder to for them for harder from LSAC's perspective to give you the special oh. whatever. Oh, I totally understand. Yeah. Yeah, but um they so this person had accommodations and they were emailed and told, "Hey, your November LSAT is not going to be it wasn't on November whatever it was. It was on uh supposed to be on December. It might have been yesterday." This person, <laughs> this candidate emailed you know followed the instructions because the instructions from the LSAC are always like hey make sure you check in with your proctor to you know double triple confirm that you're going to be there for your and special by the way, test that's for, that's for accommodated test takers for accommodated yes yeah. not for everybody else for accommodated yep well i mean but by the way read the fucking shit that the LSAC sends you even if you're not accommodated <laughs> like read it because there could be fine print you know um and th- so this person uh did that followed up with the proctor and yep yep you're all good yeah you're going to be taking it on december 4th or whatever it was mm-hmm. shows up on december 4th and they're like no we don't have you on the list oh wait yeah we oh no we have you as a no-show for the uh regular test oh, <laughs> on november whatever <laughs> like i'm not a no-show buddy <laughs> wow I don't know. We just, you know, this last this last test, we we they had like again just horror stories of canceling the test, you know, sending people emails canceling the test on the night before the test. Uh 
or Sad. and well, the, and they had test centers where everybody showed up, and they were like, "Oh, sorry, the proctors didn't show up." Yeah, I'm surprised how many test centers had that. I think it was like at least five that I heard of, right? Yeah, might have been more, but that's pretty crazy. I I don't remember any of that happening before. LSAC, LSAC. LSAC continues to like they do. They are acknowledging to us, right? They send us emails of like, you know, because they want us to help them, um, like calm everyone down, (laughs) which is not our job, and. But so they keep they tell us like well we had this a couple issues that were basically not our fault and you know it, and it was like, due to logistical you know yeah shipping <laughs> yeah yeah weather and shipping and also human error you know and, <laughs> and, and but then they they continue also to like sort of publicly they pretend like nothing is wrong <laughs> they they've got a it's a very Trumpian. The style of communication that they've got, where they're just like, "Oh, well, it was essentially perfect." Yeah. <laughs> well, except for these like hundreds of people that got screwed. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, like we said, we said this like last time. You need to go ahead and register. You know, if you want to take it in February, you've got until January seven, Tuesday, January seven, to register. And then the test is on February 22nd, and you may or may not be actually taking it on February 22nd. They might yeah. be telling you, oh, no, actually, sorry, you're going to have to take it on the 28th. <laughs> yeah. And they might not tell you that until the day before the test. So good luck. You know what? I, I think given your earlier suggestion, um, they should do this. They should say, hey, look, we're going to limit the number of people per test center to X. And if they're worried that, hey, now they can't uh, administer the test for all those folks, just offer a paper-based test to anyone else who signs up after that until the deadline. Like, And then you know that the number of digital devices or tests out there is limited to whatever, 20,000, whatever number you can handle. <laughs> and kick ass on those and just do paper for the rest because you figured out how to do paper a long time ago. Yeah, uh, anything to stop like the. I'm just. It's. I don't think they have any idea how much they're inconveniencing the people that are being last minute rescheduled. Yeah, it's not a yeah. small thing. <laughs> like, I, well, they, their their attitude too is strange, right? It's like, oh well, uh, you can take it on this time, or you can take it at this other time, or we'll just give you a refund. Like, like somehow that refund makes everybody. Like good again. Oh well, you didn't pay anything. Yeah, well, I like set up my whole life around this yeah. date and scheduled planes and <laughs> yeah, hotels and planes and got off work and yeah, re- like rescheduled my entire life. They don't. They have no idea. It seems like how seriously people take it. I don't. Yeah, they think that like the four free score reports is a adequate compensation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just not even close. But. Hmm. All right. Well, should we dive into this rest yeah, of the agenda? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the agenda? Oh, we're, oh yeah, okay. So anyways, let's jump into this testimonial. Um, wow. Someone Aaron. Oh no. Oh, anonymous wrote in. Hi all. I wanted to reach out to sincerely thank you for everything you did to help me on my law school journey. Oh, Don't need this thanks. sincerely there. No. General rule of writing. 
don't put ly adjectives. Just get rid of all yep. of them. Yeah, think twice about words like or very. Adverb. Yeah. I, I write them all the time, and then I just go in, and I'm like, oops, I don't know why I said oh, that. Oh, yeah, I, I say them all the, all the time. I constantly talk about it. It's like, say them, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, once you write it, you should edit that out. But anyway, thank you yeah. for your – yeah, go on. Sincerity. Keep complimenting us. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to hover on this for a while. Uh, Nathan and Ben, 18 months ago, I was bored as shit at my internship. Comma, I realized that there was no way I could work in HR for my career. Okay. After looking for a change and deciding that law school was actually the right path for me, again, you don't need actually, I started studying for the LSAT. I was terrible at it. I like the fact that this paragraph is one sentence, by the way. So nice. I'm a big podcast listener, so I wanted to see if any crazy person put together a podcast on the LSAT to help me. After a brief search, I found the Thinking LSAT podcast. Fast forward 10 months after studying using your books and methods, I brought my score up to a 174. Wow. Okay. Yeah. To put this in perspective, I got 1,200 on the SAT. So that was fine, but I was just average. You guys helped me to realize I could hone my intelligence, study hard, and go from an average applicant to the one that could get into the best law schools in the country. Matt, Eleanor, Ben, and Nathan. This summer, I was ready to apply to law school, but I couldn't think of what to write my personal statement about. I had written five or six shitty drafts on terrible topics. I needed help. As an avid listener of the podcast, I knew your PS service was top-notch, but I didn't know if I could prioritize it with all the other expenses I had. Another single sentence paragraph. I am so glad I did. Wow, I wonder who this is. I don't know who this is. After a few weeks of going back and forth with y'all, receiving harsh and constructive feedback, we had a great topic and a polished personal statement. I just found out that I got a full tuition scholarship to, redacted, barring admission to HYS, that's Harvard, Yale, Stanford, if you're curious, I will be attending a great law school for next year for free. Wow, that's cool. Before y'all, I would have been a much less savvy applicant who would have been who would have been thrilled with my initial 158. I would very likely have applied in March of last year and be paying full price at a much lower ranked law school if it wasn't for you guys. I hope you all know that you have changed the trajectory of my future. Thank you so much. I will be forever grateful for what you have done for me. Thanks again. Anonymous. Wow, that's really nice. Yeah. Um, I am very curious who this is now, although we have so many people going through the personal statement process, <laughs> right? Um, I'm better at remembering stories than names necessarily. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, we redacted some of this, uh, it seems like, so that we don't you know, blow up their personal situation too much. But... Um, yeah, that's amazing. I we have no way of knowing, you know, um, what the value of the personal statement service actually is. Yeah, you know, like we know what a one seventy four is worth. Yeah, but we don't know whether the same scholarship offer would have happened without our help on the personal statement. There's hard to say. It's yeah. impossible to say. There's literally yeah. no. There is no possible way. You can't submit the same applicant two times <laughs> in the same cycle <laughs> with two different personal statements. <laughs> You know, and barring that, we can't. uh, The only thing we ever have is anecdotal evidence. Yeah. Um, But what I do know is I know how people write, and I know how I write, 
<laughs> and I know how Ben writes. And I know that your shit is much better after Ben and I had our hands on it. I mean, that's just, <laughs> it's not, it's not the same at all. Yeah. Um, so, and I'm, you know, I'm glad like we, um, we charge a lot of money for it because we are pretty sure it's worth it. We spend a lot of time on it. We do. Holy cow. I can't believe how many times we go back and forth. I mean, it's probably like I've estimated 40 before on the show, but some of these folks, I think it's maybe in the hundreds, especially yeah. when you consider the work that Eleanor did and now Adriana and Leslie do. Yeah. In addition to the work that we do. So, yeah. Hmm, it's well, interesting. And, it's, and it, it's even like they get it to a point where, you know, like we look at it early on and then they go back and forth. The, the, the um, client goes back and forth with Adriana or back and forth with Leslie and it gets closer and closer and closer. And then, then we get to a point where it's like, okay, we think this is a final draft. And then like, I'll go in and look at it again and I'll be like, well, okay, except for these 10 different edits and 10 other comments and questions. And what about this? And what about that? And what about that word? (laughs) Yeah. And then we go through another, another whole cycle with it, you know, and you do the same thing to it. And then it comes back to me eventually. And we just go back and forth until, until we're really actually happy with it. So yeah, that's why it costs a lot. You can go to thinkinglsat.com, by the way, if you want to learn more about the personal statement service and our admissions consulting stuff. You know what I want to do? I I I, I want to do this test that you're talking about. Like you can't do it perfectly, but what about this? What if you took an applicant, or maybe we just applied ourselves because no one wants to do this? But we take their original personal statement, let them make it as good as they can make it, and then say, "Okay, great, thank you." And then apply to like 20 schools and you divide them up into 10 schools each, right? And try to pair the schools with similarly ranked schools as best as possible so that you get 10 similarly ranked schools and then 10 more similarly ranked schools and then send that application off. One with the original person. Yes, USC, UCLA, get them kind of close to each other. Yeah. Yeah, pair them up, yeah. And then, then look at the numbers. Say, okay, well, how many, how much money did you get with these ten? How many acceptances did you get with these ten? And how many did you get with the original ten? That would be interesting. Especially, I mean, maybe they're close, right? But maybe they're dramatically different. And at some point, you have to say, okay, how much of that is yeah. <laughs> randomness, and how much we need of that a guinea is- pig. We need somebody with a. I want it to be like a. A, a top applicant. I want it to be like a 170 yep. type of a, an applicant. And so you then, can just go for the all the top 20. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We need somebody who's willing to be a guinea pig with their career. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for 10 of those schools, you know, I mean, you're still applying to 10 others with the best you can apply with. And what? We'll pay for your application. Yeah. For the ones that you send the shitty statement to, yeah, I have to think about this. <laughs> I'm willing to. What? How much is it? Forty five bucks times. Well, right? plus all the application uh, fees. Still, man, that would be very interesting. And like any good, you know, conglomerate, if if the results are unappealing, we can just bury it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
if the results don't turn out to be what we want them to be, you'll never hear about it on the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, if they turn out how they don't, they, they don't turn out, out how we expect. We may have to do some serious soul searching. Oh, of course, oh, no, of yeah. course, of course. Um, well, anyway, email help at thinkingelset.com if you uh, want to volunteer to be our guinea pig for this. Yeah, yeah. I'm still worried that the sample is going to be too small. Ten and ten is just not a big sample. It is a small sample. We need more like a hundred and a hundred. We need to do what this if, with like ten different applicants. With, yeah. What if you did it ten and ten, but you did it with yeah a bunch of applicants? Then you look over the data. Huh. That's the only way to possibly know. Yep. You know, because you can't if you you can't ask any uh, the nobody's ever going to be able to give you anything other than anecdotal evidence. Yep. Oh, I got accepted. I got this full ride. Isn't that exciting? Oh, I didn't get accepted. I didn't get a full ride. But why? Because your numbers? Because <laughs> when you applied? But that would be pretty cool if you just you submitted all those applications at the exact same time, exact same candidate. Everything is the same except their personal statement. Uh, yeah, I kind of I, I want to do this actually. <laughs> Pretty bad. Because <laughs> I, I don't think anyone else has done this, right? What other like admissions folks have done that? What if though? What if the like? Don't you think the the admissions people are like mobbed up with each other? I don't. I I do think that they are. But do you think that they're like comparing? What are personal the chances? Of, yeah, like they're like, oh, we got this applicant Aaron, and can you believe his personal statement? Yeah, it was amazing, right? And the other uh, one's like, no, no, it sucks. What? <laughs> it was garbage. <laughs> Or maybe the original was amazing. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> but anyways, I like I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think that they they would I don't think that they're that observant. Yeah, I don't know. Well anyway, email help at thinkingelset.com. We need this is this is an idea that needs to be workshopped for sure. a while. Yes. Yeah. Let us know if you're interested. Thanks. Yeah. Hey, um, I've been writing all these explanations for the demon. Um, thank you to everybody who has been hitting the ask button in the LSAT demon. I really appreciate that. To be clear, if if y'all don't know, um, the demon has an explanation for every question ever. Uh, and if it doesn't, all you have to do is hit the ask button and we'll make one. So... Um, Thank you to all of the demon users who have been hitting that ask button. Hopefully, we've been responding to you uh, in a timely fashion. Yeah. The uh, I had a, a real weird question pop up. Um, oh, you know what? I actually had two real weird questions pop up this week, and it made me. Whenever every time I see these questions, and Ben, I'm sure you'll you'll recognize these questions. Yeah, I, I fantasize about writing a book that's like the ten weirdest LSAT logical reasoning questions, or mm. I don't know, maybe it need to be like fifty, but sure, the weirdest LSAT logical reasoning questions. And so I wanted to brainstorm with you, Ben, about um, which ones you thought were the weirdest. Okay, yeah. So one of them that came to mind when you mentioned this earlier was the one that has to do with uh, vision. And oh, the bees? bees? Yeah. 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 And it's that's one of those ones, I think we've talked about it on the show before maybe, but where early on when I was teaching, you know, I would kind of explain it to people, but also kind of have a like a shoulder shrug, kind of be like, yeah, <laughs> like that's the answer. And doesn't it make sense? Ha, 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 let's move on. Yeah. But it's one where it, it makes total sense now. I, I can hands down see why the correct answer is, way better than yep. the other four, and thus 100% correct, uh, even though it doesn't strengthen it very much. 
Yeah, um, I think when I was writing uh, that one came up like a couple months ago. I was writing an explanation for that one, and I was having that same moment of being like, "Oh yeah, I remember when I used to basically bullshit my way through this and kind of <laughs> fake it." Yeah. <laughs> or, or I used to just be at the class like, "Well, I mean, it's a bad question. It doesn't really. Nah, don't worry about it." Yeah, it's a bad you know? question. You know, that's well, a, that's a. You know, I do still say, "Don't worry about it." To mm-hmm. a handful sure. of these, because yeah. you know they they are like very memorable outliers. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that bees vision one does make a lot more sense. So here's the other ones that I have on my list and, okay. and people can email help at thinking if they want to participate in, uh, making this uh, list of weirdest questions. You know what? We could at least make a lesson in the, uh, demon premium. That'd be fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would be fun. Yeah, we can look, we can, we'll, we'll make that happen for sure. Um, that, that, that would just be fun to have them all in one place. Yeah. But, um, just yesterday, I was writing an explanation for the Han purple. Okay. Question, yeah, Han purple. Yeah. That glass mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Which is so strange because the the it's a strengthen question and the correct yep. answer just like barely strengthens it by That's the um, same as the bees. circumstantial bees barely. Yeah. Yeah. The Han purple one is clearly just like circumstantial evidence. Like it's such a weak strengthener. Yeah. But the other four are like don't even conceivably strengthen it at all. And so, you yeah. know, you, you have to get there by process of elimination, right? Yeah. Then the two the two that really though that I these are the the ones that are like hilariously bad. Yeah. The one with the study in a hospital where they're assessing people's immune system strength and how the immune system oh, how their immune yeah. system the strength changes videos? over time. Watching comic videos. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I like that one. Yeah, <laughs> and it's impossible to follow the argument on that question. Yeah, it's actually not a hard question. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong; it's a five out of five difficulty question. It is a hard question, except for it's not a hard question if you're just r- appropriately critical of that argument, because the problem with the argument it makes this bizarre. 180 degrees completely wrong assumption. It assumes that people with a greater tendency to laugh in the first place laughed less when they were watching these comic videos. And it's just, yep. it's like impossible to even follow. I, I didn't watch any of the videos, Ben, but you had like five videos for that one question <laughs> <laughs> just stacked up because clearly people have just been asking you about it, right? Over and over yeah. and over and over and over. So yeah. um, anyway, now in the demon, there's going to be a written explanation from me and, you know, five videos from Ben. <laughs> if you want to see Ben struggle to explain it to the class. Um, well, it's, it's just, funny it's you bizarre. mentioned that one. Yeah. It's a bizarre one. And, and I've actually, when I, I think I, I don't know if I've mentioned it in those videos, but I have thought that like when, when arguments are like slightly flawed, right? They can be hard for people to see the flaw because mm-hmm. it's, it's subtle. So they don't see it and they just kind of buy into the, the conclusion. They're like, yeah, this seems like good enough. Mm-hmm. And then you can make the flaw a little more glaring and then people start to see it and they go, oh, that sucks. That's stupid. But then there's this other extreme where you make the flaw oh. so like. It's like just, the Laffer curve. I don't know what that is. Laffer curve? The Laffer curve is this, um, I think, partially debunked, theoretically correct, but partially debunked um, theory of economics where it's about how much government, government revenue comes from different rates of tax. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so if you, like, if the tax rate is zero. Yep. Clearly, the government makes nothing, right? 
Mm-hmm. But if the tax rate is a hundred, okay, the government also gets nothing. Oh yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Right, because nobody would ever <laughs> work or report <laughs> income if the tax rate was literally a hundred percent. And so yeah. then there's a curve in between the two zero and a hundred, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. the government optimizes its revenue. Um, yeah, you know, at a certain point. And it's got, I don't know, it's somewhere in the middle, right? It's like, well, if you have a 50% tax rate, then people are still going to work because they get to keep part of the money, but the government's going to get a lot of it. So the government makes a lot of money. So it's like, anyway, that's the Laffer curve. But I see what got you're it. saying with the difficulty, right? Of these questions. Yeah. yeah. Get my analogy. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. No, that yes. makes sense. Like you go, <laughs> it, it gets so wonky that it's like, like you said, people can't even follow the reasoning. It's like, wait, what? Huh? Like, how did you get here? And that's what makes the flaw on the one hand, so obvious, but then also on the other hand, so hard to see because people are just like scratching their head. And you're like, well, how can you go from this to that? You can't. So that's the problem and that's the answer. <laughs> yeah, and that's, it, it's like, um, that's where you need to have the ego, right? You've got to have the, you've got to have the ego that um, like really, this is a pretty good LSAT lesson. Mm-hmm. You need to believe that you are capable of understanding everything you read. Yeah. Because that's how I feel about the test is that I'm not going to not understand it. Yeah. Including when they make a super bizarre argument that literally actually makes no sense. Mm-hmm. I read that and I go, well, it ain't me. <laughs> it's not me that's dumb. Yeah. Like I understand what you said and the thing is what you said doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And the correct answer to that question actually is A and it's it's <laughs> and it kind of jumps off the page at you if you're willing to be so critical of the argument that do you understand what I'm saying Ben like you you have to be it takes the ego to even understand how terrible their argument is. I think yeah. what 90% of students do is they read that question and they're just like, their head is spinning and they're like, wow, this one's really hard. I just don't, yeah. man. And I they reread it. it maybe and yeah. then they just go, ah, I just don't get it. Well, yeah, yeah but that's, you're like one just hair away from, you know, you're almost there. <laughs> All mm-hmm. you have to do is go the next step and go, well, this argument's bullshit because you assumed that the people with the tendency to laugh, the higher tendency to laugh, laughed less. That makes no yeah. sense. Yeah. And if you can, so if you can articulate, right, people stop at the, that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. They don't go the next step of, it doesn't make sense because here's yeah. what doesn't make sense. And if you say, here's what doesn't make sense, that turns out to be the answer. Yeah. Anyway, I love that question from teaching for teaching purposes, even though it like completely blows people's minds. I mean, they just like don't. <laughs> I think there are people who continue, no matter how many times I explain it, they continue to just be like, "Well, I just don't get it. I just, I just can't. I just don't." You know, yeah. <laughs> that's a bummer because like you're not gonna. That's not gonna work as a lawyer. Yeah. Sorry, Your Honor. I just don't understand this bit <laughs> here. I don't. <laughs> um. Okay, so then the other one I wanted to talk about on my list, we got four on the list here, is the one about dioxin in paper yes. mills, mm-hmm. the fish downstream recovering yeah. when the paper mill shut down. Mm. And mm-hmm. basically all the evidence in the entire argument points to, yeah, it sure looks like the dioxin is what's doing this. 
Yep. Yep. And then they conclude, therefore, yep. it wasn't the dioxin. And you're like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's got a very simple solution. Like, I mean, the solution to that question makes 1000% sense. Yeah. As soon as you point it out to people, they're like, oh. <laughs> well, lots of times. I mean, I don't know. I've spent hours in class, you know, over the years explaining that question to people. And yeah. they, a lot of times they still just get stuck. Like, I don't, yeah. but it says it persists in the environment. <laughs> and I'm like, I know, but it's in a stream and that shit washes downstream and the fish stay there. So it's no longer in their environment. It's it's a crazy question because it's like the answer is just hiding right yeah. in plain sight, right? It's just like, yeah. Yeah, here it is. It's in a stream. That's the first thing they said was it's in a stream. And people just don't, <laughs> they don't, they like, they, they don't allow themselves to think around the premises, right? So there's a premise yeah. in that one that says the dioxin persists in the environment. Yeah. And people don't allow themselves to think around that enough to go, well, yeah, persists in the environment, but I mean, it's a stream. So yeah. it's going downstream. Yeah, so it's going away. <laughs> yeah. It still persists. That's not a false statement. No, exactly. Yeah, you can allow the, the premise to be true, but you don't have to allow that conclusion to be true based on that premise because you can make the objection, well, wait a second, it's in a stream. <laughs> and that turns out to be the answer. Anyway, you got any more to add to our list? Well, so I don't know if this one qualifies as weird, but it's one of my favorite LR questions ever. And I heard an interview, and I don't know where on earth i heard this interview but it was with an lsat test writer and these writers are just contractors but he mm -hmm. said that this was his favorite lr question as well and i couldn't you know agree more i think i jumped out of my seat but it's the one um it's the uh the snake one the molting i don't know if i remember that one it's where the snake uh molts at a consistent rate and it's a necessary assumption question but the vast majority oh. of people pick the sufficient assumption. And so it's a great question for like illustrating the difference between a necessary assumption and a sufficient assumption. Okay, cool. I'll have to take a look at that. Um, the snake molting one. Yeah, I think it's in the 20s. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure about that, actually. That brings us to the topic that you teased up front about the necessary assumption versus necessary condition. Yeah. So, um, a this lot is of something times, that comes up in class, huh? This is something that comes up in class. And, um, I just wanted to take a moment to clarify what's going on here and try to clear some things up if sure. possible. Um, okay. First of all, to, uh, get everybody up to speed, uh, there are two different topics here that we're talking about. So the first topic is if-then statements. Um, if-then statements are also known as conditional statements. You know, if I go to the store, then I'll cry. That's an if-then statement. If-then statements can be premises in an argument. In other words, they can be used as evidence for a conclusion. They can be conclusions. Your conclusion could be, therefore, if I cry, or if I go to the store, then I'm going to cry. Um, by the way, uh, and if then statement, if it is in the argument, the entire thing will be a premise or a conclusion or something else. Um, sometimes I think people like to break up the, the if then statement and make the if clause like a, 
a premise and the then clause a, a conclusion. No, it, mm. the entire if then statement is one thing or the other. Um, an if then statement can be just uh, one claim in a set of facts, so it doesn't even have to be in an argument. But the point is, is that an if then statement is a claim. And it's called a conditional statement. And the reason it's conditional is that we're not saying that I'm going to the store. We're not saying that I'm crying. We're just saying if I go to the store, then I'm going to cry. So if this one event happens, then this other event will happen. Okay. And if-then statements have two parts, right? They have the if clause and they have the then clause. And the if clause is called the sufficient condition. And the then clause is called the necessary condition. And I think we've talked about this a lot on the show, but the reason the if clause is called the sufficient condition is that it is enough to guarantee that the then clause will happen, right? The if-then statement is just telling you if the first thing happens, then the second thing will necessarily happen. And that's also why the then clause is called the necessary condition because it's something that has to happen. And when I talk about if-then statements in class, I like to introduce these terms in part because the LSAT uses those terms. I also like to ask people what thing is necessary when I say the if-then statement. Because people can diagram if-then statements, right? And a lot of LSAT books out there tell people how to do that. Um, I've even shown people how to do that. But At the end of the day, if you can read an if-then statement and then just stop and say, okay, well, this is the thing that's necessary and you know what necessary means, then I am more confident that you have an intuitive understanding of what that claim is trying to say than if you diagram it. And that intuitive understanding is going to help you avoid mistakes and so forth, right? And when if-then statements are presented without the traditional if-then, like if they're presented with only if or unless or things like that, I can ask people the same question. I can say, okay, well, here's a claim. I will buy your computer only if it is working. It's like, okay, what's the necessary thing? Is buying the computer necessary or is working necessary? And that wasn't a traditional if-then statement. It used the phrase only if, but it's something where people can start saying, oh, okay, I got you. Like, it has to be working. That's the necessary condition. So anyways, a lot of times when I'm talking about if-then statements, I'm talking about necessary and sufficient conditions. And those are just the two parts of the if-then statement. And then later in the class, when we start talking about necessary and sufficient assumption questions, which are two types of questions in logical reasoning, people start talking about necessary and sufficient conditions, these two parts of if-then statements. And it's like they're conflating the two ideas because we're throwing around the words necessary and sufficient. And I just wanted to point out that they're like two totally different topics. Um, I mean, you're still dealing with the concepts of necessary and the concepts of sufficient, but like they're different. So, yeah, they're related, but you do you make yourself sound like a... Uh a noob, if you conflate the two, you um, you make yourself sound in class like you don't know what you're talking about, which is fine. But yeah, I think maybe the important part is just that a necessary assumption doesn't have to have anything to do with conditional reasoning. 
Yeah, it's like it's a premise that was left out of the yeah. argument. Well, you as taught me to. to yeah. You taught me to talk about it as if a necessary assumption. It's just which one does the author have to agree with? Yeah, and yeah, it might be a conditional statement. <clears throat> there can be a conditional statement that the author has to agree with. Yep, but they don't. It does not have to have anything to do with sufficient and necessary conditions when you're finding the necessary assumption or sufficient assumption of an argument. Right? Yep. Necessary assumption is which one does the author have to agree with. Sufficient yep. assumption is which one of these things will win the argument. Yep. And those don't have anything to do necessarily. Don't have anything to do with sufficient and necessary conditions. Yeah, which are parts of. And if then statement, which may or may not be an assumption in the argument or have anything to do with that. Right. right. Certainly so. can, but absolutely doesn't have to. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So just wanted to clear that stuff up. Do you want to take this next one, Pearls? Yeah. Um, okay. Pearls versus turds. This is the segment of the show where we take a bit of a received, alleged scare quotes wisdom from the internet. Okay. And we talk about whether it's a pearl of wisdom or a uh, turd. Okay. And spoiler, mostly they're turds. Right now the scoreboard is five pearls, 26 turds, and 12 ties. It says, hi, Ben and Nathan. Feel free to use my name and to read this on the show. This is my third time writing you guys. I am a longtime listener, and while my LSAT journey is over, I intend to keep up with the show. Love that. With the demon and wonder, thinking LSAT. Sorry, side note. What uh, what what is it that uh, these folks um, want to keep hearing? I wonder. We're their buddies, dude. That's the <laughs> that's what people listen to podcasts for. Not like you, Ben. You're like a machine who only betters themselves. Okay, you you don't understand that most people listen to podcasts and uh, just they're only on social media or podcasts for entertainment. Ninety nine percent of the time. So these people that want to continue listening to the show, it's because they just like hanging out with us. That's that's why. So I really oh, appreciate okay. that. Thank you, Micah, for telling yes, me that you. you intend to keep up with the show. That's my favorite thing that people ever say to me. Um, okay. With the demon and thinking LSAT, I brought my score up from a diagnostic of 158 to a 174 on the October LSAT. Damn. Damn. Is this the same guy who wrote it? <laughs> yeah. Right. That was another 174. Thanks to that score and a 4.05 LSAC GPA, I just received my first acceptance at NYU. And thanks in large part to you guys, have a great cycle to look forward to. Yeah, you know, for all the people out there who are listening to this, who are planning to like take their November or January LSAT and then apply mm. this cycle. Yeah. You're competing with Micah, who already is in at NYU. Yep. You know, just, I just, <laughs> people need to apply earlier in the cycle. Good things happen when you apply earlier in the cycle. Like Micah already has his acceptance from NYU and is looking forward to, you know, the <laughs> avalanche of other acceptances that he's certain to get with his awesome credentials. Speaking of this, I just got an email yesterday from someone who said, I heard Nathan say on the show all the time, or I hear Nathan say on the show all the time, if you're taking the test in January, wait until the next cycle. And he's like, why do I need to wait until the next cycle? And I felt like we've said this a lot, but apparently maybe we're just hitting the advice <laughs> and not the rationale enough. But 
It's simply if you apply later, your chances of acceptance go down and your chances of money go down. So even if you get in, you're not going to get as much money. I would say applying with a November LSAT score is fine, but when you start applying with a January LSAT score, that means you're looking at applying in early February. That's late. And so November is really the latest test you can take and and reasonably apply. I mean, you can still apply to some of these janky schools with a April LSAT score, right? <laughs> but anyways, that's the reasoning. Yep. Um, I am planning on, Micah continues, uh, I am planning on donating a little differently than some since $10 per point over 170 seems to like too little to me. Oh, this is that old thing of people donate, pledging <laughs> that they were going to donate 10, 10 bucks per point over 170 yeah, to the show. This. Thank you. I forgot about like, it. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, it's ridiculous. You don't need to do that, but thank you. Instead, yeah, everyone needs to do this. Everyone. <laughs> Ben's got four kids to support. <laughs> yeah. Do you want me to feed them like Aldi Cheerios or like real Cheerios? <laughs> uh, instead, says Micah, I will donate $20 for each acceptance from schools in the top five. Hmm. What would you rather have, Ben? Do you want the 40 bucks that you know for sure? Or do you want the possibly upside of a hundred? Um, well, pretty good candidate. LSA, yeah. yeah. GPA and LSAT score. I'd say let's go for the hundred plus. Uh, it's a little more exciting, right? Like, Okay, so you do like the gamble part of it. All right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah. So Micah says, my fingers are crossed for a $100 donation to you guys. Cool. Yeah, my fingers are crossed too. Yeah. Uh, get get Ben's kids some name brand Cheerios <laughs> instead of the generic <laughs> bullshit he's been having to feed them. Uh, anyway, in other news, I ran across this blog while writing an optional essay uh, y pen, the optional Y pen essay. Mm. And I thought a lot of the advice mimics that which you guys offer concerning personal statements and the like. Is it a pearl or is it a turd? Here is Whoa. the link. All the best, Micah. <laughs> so the pearl and turd question today is like an entire blog post? E- apparently, yes. So I am now Let's going to click on this link and I'm going to skim it. Oh, it's not that long, actually. All right, here it goes. It says, uh, where is this? is from accepted.com. Hmm. Okay. okay. Uh, it's got a lot of advertisements on this webpage. <laughs> it's boosting <laughs> it's, our confidence. Yeah, this is making me think it's a turd, just based on the number of ads that are on this page. Oh, wait, this is written by Jessica. Should we say all this? Jessica Pishko graduated with a JD from Harvard Law School and received an MFA from Columbia University. She spent two years guiding students through the medical school application process at Columbia's post-bac program and teaches writing at all levels. That last part concerns me. Well, that she's just not an LSAT at law school no, specialist. No. Well, teaching writing at all levels, what, like second graders up to like lawyers? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, Anyways. consulting people on the med school application process doesn't help either. Like, that's not, that's just not LSAT. It's not and law school. Ri- <laughs> and she's writing about law schools. Are the optional law school essays optional? Okay. 
She's obviously she smart as shit. I mean, she got into Harvard Law School, so she, you know, we can assume that she has a great LSAT score and great undergraduate GPA. Um, otherwise, she would not have been at Harvard Law. So she's a smart person. But let's see what she has to say about these law school sure. optional essays. It says yeah. many law schools include their own optional essays. For example, the University of Penn Law School provides the following optional essay prompts. Describe how your background or experiences will enhance the diversity of the Penn Law community. E.G. Based on your culture, race, ethnicity, religion, blah, 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 blah. These are core strengths, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so that's just a typical diversity statement prompt. Yep. Right? I mean, it keeps mentioning Penn Law. These qualities defend, define Penn Law. <laughs> that's such bullshit, <laughs> by the way. It's a fucking 100% lie. Like, like every yeah, law school says that. In the yeah. application. <laughs> yeah. What? It's like, well, the truth is, Penn Law, let's look at your actual racial breakdown. <laughs> There's no way. It's like, you're going to be white as shit is what the truth is. But anyway, um, what defines you? How do your goals and values match Penn Law's core strengths, that which we just mm. claimed are our core strength, our core strengths? Oh my gosh, that looks like a pretty typical diversity prompt. Um, yep. The second one says, "Describe a time when, as a member of a team, you particularly excelled or were especially frustrated. What was your role within that team? What was the outcome?" So that's not a typical prompt. Um, without reading the rest of this article, if I was serious about trying to get into pen, I would definitely answer that second prompt. Sure. I would also answer the diversity that. statement if I had something reasonable to say about how I was actually going to add diversity. Okay. Are you on the same page? With I'm on me? the same page, although I just read a diversity statement from one of our clients. Yeah. Well, night. that one was a. Yeah, go ahead. Explain to the listeners why we decided to scrub that personal, that diversity statement. Well, so the person was trying to show diversity through their international travel, but it, the way that it was written, it just kind of came across as privileged and kind of the opposite of what I think <laughs> the message is that you're trying to convey to the school. So I said, hey, look, it's better. It's not like you shouldn't always do this, but in your case, this statement, as it stands, is probably going to hurt your application more than it's going to help it. So just don't do anything. Stay yeah. neutral. I mean, look at the beginning of this. You know, they've got this uh, long parentheses here with mm -hmm. "eg," mm -hmm. which uh, means for example. <laughs> yeah, examples. But the examples. I mean, look. The first three are culture, race, ethnicity. Yep. Like. That's the first three, culture, mm -hmm. race, and ethnicity. <laughs> yep. So you get a pretty good idea what they're going for. Yep. And then it goes religion, sexual orientation, gender identity. Uh, there's a bunch of other ones. Ideology, age, socioeconomic status, academic background, employment, or personal experience. But I mean, look, they're looking for people who don't look like typical law school applicants. Mm -hmm. Right? So if you can say meaningful things about how your culture, race, ethnicity, religion, sexual orientation, gender identity are different, then absolutely do it. But yeah, I mean, our client was like trying to talk about how he had traveled all around the world. And like that's personal experience, I suppose. Mm -hmm. But it's not the type of personal experience that makes it look like you're, I don't know, 
you look like all the other rich white folks. Yeah. So anyway, um, and you agree with me though, Ben, the second one, this, this oh, thing this about the team. If you don't have something to say here, then that's not a good sign. Yeah. Cause you could even write about college with that. I mean, like if you've yeah. never been on a team and you can, it can be either particularly excelling or being especially frustrated and by the way, the, I would go with the Excel <laughs> well, or go with the frustrated, but spin it into a win pretty quickly. Right. Like yep. we ran into this big problem and here's how we overcame it. Yeah. I was frustrated, but this is what I did yes. to solve the problem. Don't keep bitching and moaning. No. <laughs> yeah. John just wasn't holding up his end of the team. And I know what it's like to work with horrible yeah, people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you know anything about me, you know I say fuck John because John doesn't do his work on his team. <laughs> yeah. No, not not like that. Um, okay. So the blog post continues. Are these essays optional? Question mark. Applicants often run out of steam or ideas and skip the essays, hoping that the word optional means opt out. It doesn't. If you want to get into a school, you should take every opportunity to tell the admissions committee something about yourself. After all, failure to respond to the essays sounds like you are saying that you have nothing interesting to tell them. Below are a few tips for making optional essays less painful. Wait, hold up. So... I am going to disagree with this just general advice because I feel like the test is a little more strategic. If you have something to say that's going to add to your personal statement and everything else in your application, yep. 100% do it. If it's neutral or could hurt, I would say don't because it's better. Like if you come in with two wins, a personal statement that's a win, and then one optional essay that you can win at they're going to walk away with you as a winner. If you have one personal statement and that's it, but it's a win, they're going to look at you as a winner. If you have one winner and then you come in with a you know, wah, wah. personal statement that reveals – like it's weird because I think a lot of times people write things that they think sound amazing and they have the exact opposite of their oh, intended yeah. effect. And so you're like actually digging your hole and you don't even yep. realize it. And you, you actually like dig it even deeper. You're like, and then. Yep. You it's know. like when you include too many bullet points on your resume. Yes. You think yeah. that this sounds awesome, but the, when you put, you know, that you were proficient in Microsoft Excel or whatever, it's like, <laughs> wow. Like if that's all you got, you, that's, it makes it look worse. It's better just to leave the three things where you were kicking ass. It's you know, totally good that you are meetings. proficient in Excel. It's just that that's so mundane that now it like undercuts everything else that you said on your on your resume. Yeah. 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 But I, you know, 90% I want to agree with this advice though that like I mean, that team one is a perfect example. Like really, you can't come up with something good to say for that? You if you can't though, don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll agree. That. But I yeah. mean, I'll also follow on with like, well, then also maybe you're not a very good applicant. Dig deeper. Well, dig yeah. deeper until you can find it. But then you really got to get advice of others because I, you know, people yeah. sometimes just don't know how they sound. So, yeah. yeah. Get your biggest asshole of a friend to read it for you. You know, like the one who's going to tell you, dude, this makes you look like a douche. Here's, here's, yeah. If you have you ever seen the show The Hundred? Uh, no, I have not. It's kind of a kid show, but I watch it with my kids. And there's a show, there's a character on there named John Murphy. Okay. He's, he's, 
He's the if you know who I'm talking about, he's the perfect kind of friend to approach. This is the guy who's like just constantly tells you what he's thinking the second he thinks it. You know, yeah. he's like, "Oh, you're you're an idiot," or "That plan's not going to work. We're all going to die." <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. It's you need the that. perfect, like, honest, like, character. Now he's often wrong, but it doesn't matter. He's telling you what he thinks. He's not yeah. like gaming it. Anyways, um, <clears throat> okay. So number one, short one page double space limit. Don't exceed the limit. Yeah, that sounds good. Even sometimes they're a lot shorter than that, right? They'll be two hundred and fifty words or something, mm-hmm. or even fifty words. I've seen. Uh, where they're just asking you a very simple question and they want a very straightforward answer. Yep. Uh, yeah, definitely pay attention to those limits. Show, don't tell. The biggest mistake applicants make is responding to these questions without illustrating what they mean. In other words, give the reader some detail about what happened so that he or she can picture it. Eh, yeah, I mean, we would give that advice in a different way. <laughs> we, we say, um, cut out all the conclusions and just say what happened. Yeah, leave it so I that the reader can reach that same conclusion instead of you just forcing the conclusion. Don't repeat. Uh, it says don't write about the same things you did for the personal essay or diversity statement. Examples can be from your own personal or professional experience. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's definitely that's an we see that mistake all the time. Sure. Where people like with our clients, right? Where they wrote a personal statement about topic X, and then they're answering one of these optional prompts and they're like going off again, like sometimes almost copying and pasting the exact same shit. Yeah. They're like, do you realize the same person is going to read both of these? <laughs> yeah. Like, what are you doing? Reminding them? No, <laughs> you don't need to do that. All right. I don't think we need to read this last paragraph. What do you think? Are yep. you going to give this a pearl, give it a turd, give it a tie? Okay. So the general thrust is, Let's just say, assume that her general advice is try. She doesn't She doesn't qualify her advice that you should take every opportunity to tell them about yourself. So I'm a little hesitant about that, so I'd say it's a tie. Okay, I'll give it a tie. I'm leaning toward the pearl end of the spectrum, but you're right. I mean, if she's if people just read this and say no optional essays are not optional, yeah, then you're wrong. I mean, because even the diversity statement is definitely optional. If you're not going to be able to say something that moves the needle, then just don't say anything at all. It's best to let your other shit stand on its own. Yeah. Okay. So we'll give her a tie for that. Cool. Uh, thanks, Micah. Thanks, Micah. All right. You want to do this PSA? Sure. Sean and Naomi write in to clarify that the writing sample does have spell check. Oh, well, that's an addition. Plus, here's some extra info from Naomi. You can also bold and italicize words as well as a few other <laughs> options. Okay, do not do, do that. Do not, <laughs> do not do that. Do not use the bold and italics. Oh my God. Okay, also they say that it can take up to three weeks to have your essay submitted once you finish it. So make sure to, make sure to submit it early. Oh, oh my God. What are they doing? It's well, text. You, it's not even graded. Yeah. Like they could have done this in Google Docs. Finishing up law school applications this week, and I've been I've loved listening to the podcast as I've been applying. Thanks for all your help. Thank you, Naomi and Sean. Uh, we appreciate the tips. Oh, so here's the reason you don't want to use bold and italics, by the way. If you um, are writing an argument and you feel the need to do that, you're essentially, it's like all caps, you're screaming at your reader and you probably just need to <laughs> rephrase the sentence 
the the emphasis should be obvious from what you're writing, not from the format you're using. You know, I do it all the time uh, when I'm writing explanations for the demon, but I also am intentionally yelling at you a lot when I'm writing the explanations for the demon. So also I'm a professional writer, so I can break rules. <laughs> but generally speaking, bold and italics, like in personal statements, yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> you can rework that and say it. Um, yeah, let the words speak for themselves. Cool. Uh, bar passage PSA. Yeah. Hi, I've heard you guys mention a few times how the bar passage rates are no longer included on the 509 reports. Yeah, mm-hmm. because the ABA, I guess. I would love to know how they made that decision to not include the bar passage rates on the ABA 509 reports anymore. Yeah. I just wanted to share that they are all compiled on this website along with the 509s and employment outcomes. Ooh, and this is this a is link cool. to ABA required disclosures.org slash bar passage outcomes dot aspx we'll link to this in the uh, show notes subscribe to our newsletter by the way you'll get the show notes in your email every week automatically i am keeping this link thank you this is great i've been here before but i forgot about it individual school bar passage reports well let's just check in on old california hastings my alma mater your favorite it's a pdf well, we can't have this data available in like a spreadsheet. Nope, we have to have a to make PDF. Easy to find. Oh, wait, wait, hold on. You can download complete. Ooh. Oh, no, you, you see that? Bar passage. Oh, you can't do it for bar passage, but you can do it for the. <laughs> see, again, they're hiding the bar passage. So for employment outcomes yeah. and 509 reports, you can download all of them as a PDF. What is this? Maybe it's a. Anyways. <sighs> Hastings. This is a 2019 report. Ultimate bar passage rate for people who graduated in 2016. Number of graduates that calendar year 304. Graduates who sat for a bar examination within one year of their date of graduation, it doesn't even have any data. (laughs) Dude, the ABA, I mean, we've already pointed out a million errors in the 509 reports, right? Remember the thing of like the semester tuition versus year tuition? Yeah. The shit's sloppy. Like this is not acceptable. Like a lawyer would not, what, what? Anyway, there's no data on what happened within one year of graduation. There's data here of graduates who sat for a bar examination within two years of their date of graduation. So including people who took it multiple times within those two years. So 248 of them eventually passed, which is 83%. Now there's six with no information. So, I mean, those people clearly didn't take it, didn't pass. Yeah. Yeah. We can just put those in the fail. So whatever. So Hastings is looking at an 80% ultimate bar passage rate. This is confusing, too, the way they've written this. Uh, it, it seems like it's intentionally confused. It's already hidden on some weird page on the ABA website that no one's ever going to go to. Then you have to download a PDF in order to look at the data. 
Here's the first time bar passage rate for 2018 graduates. 274 people. Hmm. Uh, 61%. Oh, that's by the way, in any jurisdiction. <laughs> so for the California bar, it's going to be way lower. Uh, nice. Oh, but there's not that many people. So here, details, 2018. Almost all those people took it in California. But as predicted, the California bar passage rate, 58%. (laughs) The California bar is hard. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Should we move on? Yes. We should, but one second. Um, I am... I downloaded the employment data for all the law schools. Oh, nice. Um, Employment start date deferred. I'm looking for unemployed seeking. Okay, here we go. This is the column. It's column AI, by the way, or yeah, AI in this massive Excel sheet. I'm going to sort by this column, which is entitled unemployed seeking number. So this is the number of people who are unemployed and seeking a job. For each law school. Okay. And, and I'm just curious. Let's see, where is it? Unemployed, unemployed, seeking. Gosh, these things are seeking. There we go. Okay. Sort anything that looks like a number. Yes, of course. Um, so who's the highest? So 68 people from the University of Western Michigan. Oh, and the, ooh, American University is third here. That's a local school with uh, 40, what is it? AI, hold on one sec. Sorry, sorry. Um, With 49 people still looking for a job. Nice. what that means. So we'll have to do some percentages on this. We can mess with this data, but I'm curious about the outcomes. Of course, percentages are more interesting, but yeah, you can go find your school at the same link and see what their uh, employment stats are. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, Hastings 2018 graduates, mm, mm-hmm. 277 graduates. Okay. Mm-hmm. Number of them that are employed in a job that requires you to pass mm. the bar. Yep. 184. Yeah. Out of 277. That's like all you need to know. <laughs> For real. Come on. You don't go to law school to not get a bar required job. If you do, you're dumb. I mean, (laughs) it's the only purpose of going to law school. Yeah. So, you know, whoa, whoa, but we have these other 32 people who have a JD advantage job. I mean, that's like literally any job you can say is a JD advantage job. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Uh, Wow. This is interesting, too. They tell us the first largest employment state, the second largest employment state, and third largest employment state for these schools. So you can go to your school and see what percentage of people are practicing locally versus yeah. and look, somewhere else. And of course, California for Hastings, it's like of the people who are employed, <laughs> almost all of them are employed in California. You yep. Five people in D.C. and five people in New York. Um, so yeah, like in other words, don't go across the country <laughs> If you want to work in New York, don't go to Hastings. That's the message there. Um, Also, I mean, if you look at the employment type for these people, there's an awful lot of people working in small firms. 
Hmm. You know, like that, so it's like of the people who did get jobs, they're not making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only people on this chart who are making money are the four, 49 people who are working in firms of 500 or more lawyers. Yeah. Right. Maybe the two, there's two people who are in, in a 250 plus, or there's six people who are in a hundred plus, but those are the only lawyers that like make any money or coming out of law school. Oh man, this is cool too. Cause it's got the, uh, public interest, uh, work and clerkships, federal clerkships, the number of people from your school that got federal <laughs> clerkships. People ask about that all the time. Like, Oh, yeah. can I go to the school and get a federal clerkship? It's like, mm, probably not. Well, here you can find the exact data. There's yeah, Hastings, one person from your school. <laughs> yeah. Hastings has nine, nine Okay, out of a graduating hmm. class of 277, nine of them got federal clerkships. Yeah. And that's, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's possible. But you don't want to be paying a tuition there. Like if you're there on a scholarship, hey, get into Berkeley, but turn them down and go to Hastings on a full ride. Mm-hmm. Okay, now you're in a pretty good spot to get one of those big law jobs or one of those federal clerkships. Yeah. Um, all right, should we move along? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Let's see. Dual law degrees. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I'm a corporate tax account. I'm a corporate tax accountant. Dent. Maybe. Yeah, with a bachelor's in finance and considering obtaining a law degree. Ideally, I will use a JD for M&A tax research and consulting. Okay, mergers and acquisitions. Never say obtaining. (laughs) Wait, where did it say that? Oh, I'm considering obtaining a law degree. Yeah, that's interesting. You could say getting. Getting. Uh I'm looking at schools that offer taxation concentrations. The schools that offer dual MBA or MS in finance degrees are enticing. Will a full time two degree in dual degree in law school be too overwhelming? Will it be better to wait and obtain an LLM? Hmm. I have no idea. My gut says lawyers have, like, real lawyers have an unlimited capacity for work. And these dual degree programs are there for a reason. I don't see why it would be too overwhelming. If you are convinced that a JD plus an MBA or a MS in finance is going to help you get the job you want in tax research and consulting, or emergence and acquisitions, tax research and consulting, whatever that is. I mean, here, let me back up a step. What job do you want? Does the lawyer who has this job, you know, is it a lawyer who has this job, first of all? Because if not, you don't want a JD. If it is a lawyer who has this job, do they also have an MBA or an MS? Because if they don't, then you don't need any of this shit, right? You need one or the other. Yeah. Or neither, potentially. But if if there is a lawyer that you that you know whose career you're trying to replicate and they're recommending to you JD MBA or JD MS in finance or JD plus an LLM, then you should do what that person who you're trying to model your career after is recommending. Don't you think? Oh yeah, I agree. I think if my guess is that if you're going to be heavily involved with tax law, the LLM is going to be better (laughs) or unnecessary. If you're like mainly consulting and you're helping businesses, then maybe the MBA will help. But my, my impression just generally of MBAs is that 
They're softer degrees than JDs, and anyone who has a JD can do what an MBA can do, but the reverse is not true. How dare you insult my MBA? (laughs) No, I agree 1,000%. Listen, I took tax law classes in law school, and that was after my MBA. My MBA did not do shit to help me understand my tax class. I mean, I had accounting classes even in my MBA, and I didn't, I don't, I didn't learn anything in those accounting classes that helped me once I got to the JD tax law classes. Yeah. JD is so much ser- more serious. <laughs> it's a much more serious degree. I agree with yeah. you, Ben, a thousand percent. Anything yeah. that an MBA can do, a JD can do probably better. You meant the other way. <laughs> but yeah. No, anything that an MBA can do, a JD can do probably oh, better. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I got it back. Take it back. <laughs> um, no, I, dude, totally. I, my, I, yeah, my first hypothesis is a JD trumps all of this stuff. Yeah. Um, and that if you want to do tax stuff, you can just do a JD and then learn all the tax stuff that you need for your job. Yep. But yeah, maybe an LLM, maybe a master's in finance, probably not an MBA. I honestly, yeah. I think MBAs are meant to impress people who don't have MBAs. Like it's there's, just there's something there. I mean, there if that's if you're gonna go like, dude, it's signaling down the business path. All yeah. it is is signaling. It's signaling to an employer that you had the wherewithal to take the GMAT, get a decent score, get into school, jump through all the stupid hoops that the school made you jump through. You know, it's not like actual learning anything. I mean, now I take it back as it applies to what. Stanford, University of Chicago, oh, for sure. a few other ones that are, you know, MIT that are like real MBA programs. It's networking, right? Like you're getting involved with people who are similarly minded. So, Dude, it's cocktail parties and but, PowerPoints. That's yep. what it was for me. It was at Babson, which is not a bad law school, but it was cocktail parties and PowerPoints. Mm. That's what the, that's what the MBA was. So, yeah, they had nominally they had classes in economics and accounting and all this other shit but it, they were like so uh, just so easy like so superficial mm. my my undergrad classes were way harder my undergrad economics and accounting classes were way harder than my MBA accounting yeah. and economics classes yeah so anyway should we do this personal statement get out of here oh yeah let's do it all right dear thinking LSAT. I am an avid listener of your show. I have written a personal statement trying to argue for my candidacy as a law student and future entertainment lawyer Hmm. and would love for you guys to point out the blind spots in my application. For context, I'm a British graduate of St. Andrews, 3.8 equivalent undergrad, 4.0 equivalent masters in English and comparative literature, respectively. Keep doing what you're doing to untangle the Gordian knot of law school admissions. Best wishes, D. D's British, so he like went to a good school, so he knows what a Gordian knot is. Um, yeah. Okay, so this is draft number two mm-hmm. of D's personal statement. Right off the bat, I like that it's pretty short. Okay. Maybe yeah. it just looks short because it's single space. There is a couple. There's one real long paragraph, yeah. which needs to be broken up into a couple. So D, your third paragraph here for sure needs to be chopped in half. Um, anyway, here it goes. The fall 2017 semester was ending as I settled in for another night of reading. Hmm. 
That's yeah. your first sentence? Right. I mean, it's just the typical thing where everybody thinks they need to set it up way more yep. than they need to set it up. Anyway, what were you reading? Let's get on with it. <laughs> Tonight, Edward Louis The End of Eddie. Ooh, and then a period outside the quotation mark. I wonder if that's a British thing. That is a British thing. Okay. It's going to be different here in the U.S. You need to put commas, periods, exclamation points, and question marks inside your quotation marks. Uh, the only exception to that would be um, colons and semicolons go outside, and question marks and exclamation points do go outside if they're not part of the quotation. Part of the quote, yeah. Okay. I was arguing that Louis' memoir could best be understood within the theoretical concept of queer time. I have no idea what's going on. I don't either. I thought you were reading something, first of all. So what do you mean you were arguing this? I, I had you sitting in a chair reading a book. <laughs> then you told now me you're what book you're yourself. reading. And now you're saying I was arguing. You, I don't know. It just needs to be more straightforward. Like, what are you doing? What did you do? Then we got two spaces before the next sentence. Um, so we're going to clean up shit like that. Then it says, I felt like a scholarly detective parsing out meanings and subtle argumentation not to arrive at an objective standard of truth, but instead an expanded awareness of the text's mores. Ugh. That's a broken sentence um, because not to arrive at an objective standard of truth, but instead, it doesn't it need to say to arrive at an expanded awareness. But not sorry, I just like got lost in the content. Uh, so yeah. you're talking about the parallelism right here, right? Yeah, of the, but not to arrive, not yeah. to this, but to doesn't it need that. a to that? Yeah, yeah, it does need a to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so it, it's a broken sentence. Idea wise, man, this is one of those like very academic. I guess I could see law schools that focus on creating law professors liking this. But I mean, I'm only talking about like Yale. I hate this shit. I hate, <laughs> I hate it. Like, I'm sorry. It's like you have <laughs> some yeah. personal history coming here, but like academics who use big words to talk about big ideas who really actually don't have big ideas. I yeah. just, I, that stuff is like a serious pet peeve for me. It's getting less serious as I get older, but. No, but really, like the sentiment here, it is bullshit. The sentiment, I mean, basically, D's message here is I, I like ideas for their own sake, right? He's saying, I don't, or he or she is saying, I don't want, you know, I'm not trying to arrive at at an objective standard of truth. I just want an expanded awareness. Sweet, man. Of what, yeah, right. (laughs) It's like, you're not the lawyer. I mean, that's not a lawyer I'm going to (laughs) hire. I want to fucking win, dude. I don't want, like, yeah, this isn't, it's like, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's too hard to even understand. I think you're overestimating the intelligence of your reader, potentially. These people that work in these admissions offices are not always like the sharpest tax. I would actually argue that this person is probably underestimating the intelligence of the reader. They're thinking that like 
this stuff sounds impressive. Whereas I think if you're a sharp reader, you say, mm, really? Sounds like, like bullshit. Yeah. yeah. All right, going on. <clears throat> this is what I had come to enjoy in my studies the most. Semicolon. The judgment and evaluation of literary texts slash ideas. Oh, dear God. Don't with, use a slash in your personal statement. Yeah. What within the heck a, is going on? Oh, yeah. Within a kaleidoscope of contexts, colon, <laughs> national, generic, theoretical, et cetera, the abbreviated ETC period. That sentence has so many problems. What is going on? I don't know. This person majored in, hold up. English and comparative literature. Okay. I don't understand what schools are doing these days. I don't either. Um, Your semicolon privileges are revoked, D, because you did not use that properly. The second part is not a full sentence. You used a semicolon and a colon in the same sentence, which is real annoying. Wait, okay, so you're telling me what you're telling me about your feelings. You're telling me this is what you had come to enjoy. So this is what you like. What you like is the judgment and evaluation of literary texts and ideas within a kaleidoscope of contexts, national, generic, theoretical, etc. <laughs> Boy, that is ultra broad. You could have just said all contexts or various contexts. <laughs> Wait, what? Generic, national, generic, theoretical, etc. This is some shit that literally only professors care about. Yeah. Right? Generic contexts, the difference between a national context and a generic context or a theoretical context. It's so removed from the real world. I, yeah, I don't know. My own writing had become stronger as a result of this. Oh boy. Don't Here's, not say that. Yeah, especially not when you're going to make a whole bunch of fucking writing errors. Comma. And so too had my aptitude for scholarship. So this oh, is just geez. purely telling. Mm-hmm. Like you're not, you're not showing me that. You're just bragging now. I don't know if it's Louis or Lewis. I'm going to say Lewis because I keep annoying myself by saying Louis. Hey, can I let's stop for half a second here? Can I recommend a book? It's called Style. Um, it's by it, the subtitle is Lessons in Clarity and Grace. It's by Joseph Williams. Perfect. Um, it has low rankings on Amazon because apparently the binding is not good. But (laughs) the book content itself, this is what changed my writing in college. And it basically talks about writing directly, clearly, um, and all that good stuff. Everyone really who's going to law school should read this book. Yeah. Okay. Lewis was writing himself into being, comma. I don't know what the fuck that means. I don't know. He didn't exist in his well, writing. <laughs> dude, to go back, let's go back to something I said earlier about the reason why I'm the shit at LSAT logical reasoning is yeah. because when I read shit that doesn't make sense, it, it, it's not me. I don't assume that it's me. I just assume that it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Like who you're talking about somebody. I don't know. Am I supposed to know this person? <laughs> I don't know this person. 
writing himself into being. I mean, aside from the fact that it's not even about you, it's just nonsense. It's just, what is this? I don't know. Comma, historicizing his queerness, not as aberrant, but central to his personhood, M dash with spaces around it. Um, if you're going to use an M dash, don't put spaces around it. A desire deeply personal to me. Okay, so now you're telling us that you're queer. That's fine. If you want that to be your personal statement, you can. You could also put it in a diversity statement. What I've learned about you so far is that you are an academic who maybe thinks too highly of his own writing abilities yeah and identify as queer okay um throughout my undergraduate and master's studies i saw plurality and mutual influence as guiding principles not only of my formal and personal educations but also in my extracurricular activities and in my desire to pursue law I have no idea what was just said. I don't either. Your sentences need to be way shorter and way more direct. I saw plurality and mutual influence as a guiding principle of blah, 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 and my desire to pursue law. I, uh, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Sorry, I don't. I, I found my flair as a producer of the African and Caribbean Society's, quote, Ubuntu 2018 inaugural charity fashion show, which aimed to exhibit the work of current black British and African fashion designers through the lens of the Yoruba origin myth. Okay. I like it that you're doing a thing. I like it that you're producing a show theme wise. This is the first thing that I'm actually interested in. Yep. But I don't want you to be finding your flair. (laughs) I don't know what that means. I want to know what you did. Like, that's a conclusion. I found my flair. I produced is what that needs to say. That would be such, so much more, more powerful. Yes. As vice president, I successfully negotiated our budgets with the student union as well as, don't ever say as well as. Drop the word successfully. Put and. Okay, let's rewrite this for him. As vice president, I negotiated our budgets with the student union and oversaw the creative and logistical aspects of the show, comma, as I had done with the Global Health Conference. Keep in mind, that's a rewritten version. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Um, as, as I had done with the Global Health Conference, this is the first we're hearing of the Global Health Conference, though. <laughs> so I don't, like, am I supposed to know about that? I don't. Oh, this is like this is like name dropping. Yeah, like, exactly. Oh, as I've done before. Yes. Yet it was the experience of leading the negotiations as the interlocutor for our society. Whoa. Wait a second. You were the vice president of the African and Caribbean Society. You were negotiating your budgets with the student union. And now the way you're going to describe that is the experience of leading the negotiations as the interlocutor for our society. Wait, interlocutor? Interlocutor, I think. I'm going to play it. Yeah, interlocutor, which is apparently a person who takes place, who takes part in a dialogue or conversation. Uh, in other words, a person. 
Well, also, <laughs> yeah, you said you negotiated. So you're not telling me anything new at all. You're telling me that you like to use fancy words. <sighs> okay, and now you're describing what it was like to be in these negotiations. Balancing our creative desires and expectations with the union's stipulations and requirements that expanded the possibilities of what I could do as a lawyer. But you're not a lawyer. You mean it made you want to be a lawyer? Or the fact that you did this negotiation made you think, oh, I could do this type of work as a lawyer. That's what he means, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a you lot of words wouldn't... to get to that point. You wouldn't say that. What you'd do is you'd say, I did this negotiation. We were able to secure this funding. Our next project was Yeah, because the that. reader goes, oh, you have negotiations experience. Great. That's a lawyer thing. Yep. <laughs> lawyers do that. Like, you don't need to tell the reader that lawyers do negotiations. And if you want, you can say at the very end, you can say, I want to continue doing this kind of work. That's why I'm going to law school. <laughs> or I want to go to law school. Or I'm going to law school because I want to continue this kind of work. Period. All right. Onward. Makes sense. Yep. Onward. Um, This led me to consider entertainment law as a field whereby I might combine a passion for intellectual curiosity, though legal scholarship, I think you meant through legal scholarship, with practical applications in an evolving business landscape. That hurts. It hurts. You're it's you're just telling you again with the like bragging about intellectual curiosity. You're trying to tell the reader about that entertainment law is a has practical applications in an evolving business landscape. I mean, the reader is like rolling their eyes about like even the possibility of entertainment law. I think people should never mention entertainment law. I mean, I understand. Trust me. I live in Los Angeles. Okay. I, I know entertainment lawyers, but <laughs> you need to be a lawyer first. And then if you end up having clients in entertainment, good, but you need to, yeah. you need to tell the reader that you want to be a lawyer. <sighs> the legally salient issues. Oh my God. Okay, so now this is going to be a lecture about entertainment law, basically. Oh my gosh. You are not an expert. Holy shit. Okay, the legally salient issues of monopolistic distribution, IP ownership, and contract negotiation inflected the way I viewed creative production of film and TV content. What the hell? That's a weird use of inflected. Inflected? Inflected. Like an inflection point in a curve, right? Where it like changed, changed. the direction of the curve. But it's okay. just, it's so high level. Like, are you, where did monopolistic distribution actually, where the fuck did film and TV, where did that even, what? I thought you were producing a fashion show on campus. Are you an, an, ex, are you an expert in monopolies? Are you an expert in IP ownership? How about contract negotiation? Like, oh, how about film and TV content? Are, you have no authority talking about any of this. No, I don't want to hear it. Oh, oh, well, 
Okay, so now we do get. Hold on, let's let's read the rest of this paragraph here because now we're going to get into where he actually has some experience. So this is interesting. Okay. Just as in my studies, where literary texts and the theories they served as evidence for <laughs> what? Just as in my studies, where literary texts and the theories they served as evidence for were constantly evolving, comma. So too did I see a corollary in the practice of entertainment law and its intersections with changing business models, comma, expanding international markets, comma, and the market dash impacts of greater <laughs> consumer choice. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of statements that we sometimes encounter where people like start to encounter ideas in their classes that kind of blow their minds a little bit and they haven't wrestled with the ideas enough to realize that they're actually not that crazy or mind-blowing but they've encountered them enough to still think that they are and they want to talk about them and because they think that it reveals like the like they have that feeling that moment of like whoa i'm i'm kind of dealing with something that's you know hard and and difficult to understand, but I'm starting to get my mind wrapped around it. But once you actually get your mind wrapped around it, you're like, oh, um, this isn't that crazy. It's kind of just listing a bunch of random things too. The second half of this is just like Uh, like, changing business models and expanding international markets and the market impacts of greater consumer choice. Like what the hell? What are you, you're not a, dude, you're a comp lit major. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I don't. I mean, sorry to. I mean, I I understand that that was an insult, and you've done things since then, I'm sure. But at this point in the personal statement, you're a comp lit major. Like you were just negotiating a deal on campus to put on a fashion show. That's not. You don't have authority in my book to be telling me about changing business models and international markets for film and TV content. I don't, People who have been in the industry for their entire career and are in their 60s might get on a TV program and talk about one of these things and only one specific <laughs> example of them. Yeah. Uh, okay. My subsequent experience working as a runner for Mammoth Screen in Bristol confirmed that my interest in film production was grounded not in the making of TV and film, but instead its. Again, you need in, the in, in the interaction. <laughs> With yeah. the business of entertainment itself. Oh. I mean, you know, if you just flipped it, like it needs to be more, you got to just say what you did first. This is coming in hot with like all of the big ideas and conclusions. <laughs> and instead it needs to come in with like, I did this and I just saw this and I worked on this project and then I did this and this other thing and I did this and that. And then maybe I will buy one or two of these conclusions, but not all. Man. All right, two paragraphs left. Therefore, in preparation for a career in the entertainment business as a protector and nurturer of creative IP, (laughs) I am pursuing a JD. I am particularly interested in courses related to business law, intellectual property, and how the ever-evolving digital landscape and frontiers of technology will open up new spaces for the entertainment business and future deal negotiation therein. Your sentences are way too long here. Um, that one earlier one had 49 words in it, which is just outrageous. Um, you need to stick to like 25 or 30 words max because it's like your readers are just not even going to be able to understand what you're talking about. 
Am I wrong here, but I'm feeling like as an English major and a creative or comparative lit, is it master's or something? I can't remember. But is, is this sort of, with this sort of background or an education, this guy has no business talking about IP, period. Oh, completely. Yeah. I mean, you... <laughs> well, I mean, like most people who yeah. are pursuing IP law have and are required to have a degree in some science. Yeah. Yeah. IP law. I mean, I took an IP one IP law class in law school and it, it barely, I mean, it didn't even talk about copyright hardly. You know, like IP is in this context, it's copyright, right? (laughs) It's actually not IP. (laughs) This is not IP (laughs) law. (laughs) IP law is like patents and trade secrets. You know, I don't know. Um, ergo, ergo. Yeah, this sentence starts with ergo. Ergo, Professor Stuart Brotman's quote entertainment and media law course and the Entertainment Law Clinic make Harvard the ideal forum for my legal education. You're applying to Harvard with this, with a comparative focus on legal doctrine and practice within the entertainment field. I hope that my time at Harvard Law School will continue to hone my scholarship and fashion me into an effective legal professional. I, I do want to say one thing, Ben. I, if you have the right numbers, I think sometimes a big thing of bullshit like this might work anyway. Like, oh, I agree. I mean, yeah, sure. If you have the, the best numbers. Well, it's, he's, he's claiming a 3.8 equivalent undergrad. Let's give him credit for that's an LSAC converted GPA. Sure. Uh, got, got a master's degree in English and complete. Is yep. clearly interested in academia. If he shows up with a 170 something at Harvard, I don't know. I could see I I could see I could see them just letting him get away with all of this shit. Now it's not what I would submit. It's and if you were a client, I wouldn't there's no way like we would be blowing this whole thing up and you'd be telling your story in a much more plain spoken fashion. Mm-hmm. There's better ways to make yourself look like an academic than <laughs> like trying to drown them in academic nonsense, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, the best academics are also clear clear spoken. Clear communicators, yeah. Yeah. You know, his email is or her email, I uh, yeah, his not or bad. her. Yeah, it's not bad. I'm an avid there. listener of your show. I've written a personal statement trying to argue for my candidacy as a law student and future entertainment lawyer. I would stop there. It's getting a little too long. But anyways, I would love for you guys to point out the blind spots in my application. These are like you're talking to us as real people. Yeah, and then I mean, it, it's not yeah. great, but it's not bad. Yeah, I don't like a personal statement that sounds like something that you copy pasted out of one of your papers that you wrote in college. And there's a lot of this that does sound like that. Yeah. Like you don't need to be talking about this Edward Louis Lewis, whatever. What does that have to even do with any of this? (laughs) Like why did we start in the fall of 2017 semester settling in for another night of reading. What did that have to do with the fashion show? What did that have to do with your, your later working as a runner in TV and film? Yeah. 
you you are here. I mean, you're you're definitely looking like a kid. You're well. You're purposely inviting us to think about you as someone two years younger than you actually are, right? Because you're placing us in the fall of 2017 semester while you're reading for one of your classes. Yeah. Instead of placing us in fall 2019, where you're like, you know, have a job. Boy, I would if you're going to try to sell me on the idea of entertainment law. <laughs> I I don't want to hear any of the college stuff. Yeah. I want to hear about your job. All right. Should we wrap it up there? I got to go get on yeah. an airplane. Let's do it. You um, can always join. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Join the Thinking LSAT podcast group on Facebook. You can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Thinking LSAT. Visit strategyprep.com for live classes in D.C., foxlsat.com for live classes in L.A. and San Francisco. Our joint project is lsatdemon.com. You can study for the LSAT anywhere. That includes an AI-driven course that adapts to your skill level with lessons and practice problems, all the tests that you'll ever want. We will explain every question on the LSAT for you. You will get an explanation from me and Ben for every question on the LSAT. (laughs) <laughs> it's yes. the only way to get that. <laughs> That's right. To be yep. clear. <laughs> okay. Yep. And if there's not an explanation there yet, we'll get it to you within what, two days? Yeah. Like I mean, I, it's funny because like, I don't want to shit on our own product. I love the AI aspect of it, but yeah. I want to make it clear that this is the only way that you get me and Ben explaining all of the questions to you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You can listen all sorts of ways. You can listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, and our very own website, thinkinglsat.com. You can also buy shirts there, I believe. Um, leave us a review on iTunes. As always, thank you. That let, me was say, epi- let me say one yeah, more thing ahead. before you wrap it up. I just want to say uh, thanks again to D for submitting um, their personal statement. And I want to say I'm sorry if you know the tough love is too tough. You're a fan of the show, listener of the show, so you know. I guess you know what you're getting yourself into. But I just, I don't want, I don't want you to think I'm being mean. I'm, I'm just trying to give you like my, you know, what I, my, my honest reaction. Um, but I do really appreciate you sending it in. So thank you. Oh, Nathan's soft side. I mean, I don't know. I'm not like an actual <laughs> asshole. <laughs> I'm the actual asshole here. <laughs> yeah, the truth is Ben is a total dick. I'm like really a sweetheart. All right. Well, that was episode 222 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks, all y'all, for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for watching.